This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... The brunt of the impact of these crises is always borne by the most marginalized, the most excluded... That's the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk. Details coming up also. Nigeria's Human Rights Commission said today it will probe a report that the military has secretly run an abortion program. And there's hope that the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit will revitalize U.S. ties with Africa. And in the World Cup, Croatia knocks out Brazil. These stories and more on African News tonight. Our top story, on the eve of Human Rights Day, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, launched a year-long campaign to mark the adoption 75 years ago of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. As crises and calamities escalate around the world, some worry the principles of humanitarian inherent in the United Nations Universal Declaration may be slipping away. The UN Human Rights Chief, Volker Turk, says he hopes the campaign will renew people's awareness and commitment to human rights and rekindle the spirit and vision that inspired this remarkable document. He says human rights violations must be of concern to everyone. He notes expressions of alarm and offers of aid must not be restricted to heartbreaking headline events, such as the war in Ukraine or the sanctioned killings of protesters by state security forces in Iran. The High Commissioner says the human suffering and what he calls forgotten crises must not go unreported. He says the many killings and kidnappings by gangs in Haiti and acute hunger faced by millions there also must not go unreported and that attention must be paid to humanitarian catastrophes in Yemen, Afghanistan, Somalia, Mozambique and other nations. These and many other crisis situations that have faded from the headlines not only have severe consequences for the people that are directly affected but are likely to have ripple effects across borders and risk further destabilizing their regions. One thing they and so many other crises have in common is this disregard for human rights. Turk notes the disregard for human rights can trigger multiple and interlocking human rights violations. He says these include racial and other forms of discrimination, violent crackdowns on dissent, and the denial of an adequate standard of living. He says hate speech can exacerbate tensions and set back rights such as gender equality. The brunt of the impact of these crises is always borne by the most marginalized, the most excluded among those, in particular women, children, migrants, indigenous peoples, internally displaced people, people with disabilities, older people, ethnic racial minorities, LGBTIQ plus people. Turk warns the world is facing a crisis of trust. He says the rise in social movements and protests across all regions is a sign that the institutions meant to serve people are breaking down. He says adherence to the principles set forth by the Universal Declaration can set societies back on the path toward a better future, one that is based on justice and equality for all. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. 
Ahead of World Human Rights Day tomorrow, Cameroonian rights groups are protesting what they call dehumanizing treatment of women and children displaced by the separatist crisis in two western provinces. The groups say displaced women and girls are forced into physical and sexual abuse and domestic work without pay. Mokirwin Kindeka reports from Yawunde. <laughs> These are the voices of several hundred women and girls singing in streets in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé. Civilians should denounce human rights abusers, they say. Anyone fearing reprisals for doing so should discreetly tell female associations when anyone abuses the rights of women and girls. The protests in the capital and in Cameroon's economic hub, Douala, were organized by the Association for the Fight Against Violence on Women and Young Girls. Human rights activist Jeanette Ebali, the association coordinator, calls it very disheartening that so many women and girls fleeing the separatist war in Cameroon's English-speaking Western regions do not find peace, love and comfort in French-speaking towns. Ebale says her strong message on Human Rights Day is that civilians should denounce those who physically and sexually abuse women and girls displaced by Cameroon's separatist crisis. She says 130 of the roughly 370 displaced females who rushed to her association for help after they were raped or forced into prostitution in the past two months were diagnosed with gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis. 18-year-old Immaculate Efosi escaped from Mamfi, an English-speaking western town, in February after armed men touched a girl's school dormitory. She says she spent two months living in the courtyard of the Roman Catholic Church Cathedral in French-speaking Douala. FOC says a man who promised her a domestic worker job instead abused her. I did every work, cleaning the house, cleaning children and dresses, and then cooking. Yet I had only one meal each day. He kept on promising to pay my salary, which he never paid for seven months. Honestly, I could not leave his house despite the abuses because I had nowhere to go. FOC said she was directed by a friend who left Mamfi and was abused sexually for a year to women's rights, a female activist group. Women's rights says the man who abused FOC and 11 other displaced girls and women is now facing charges in Douala. Cameroon's government says children in the troubled western regions face violence, kidnapping, rape, being forced out of schools and into early marriage and recruitment by armed groups. When they escape to French-speaking towns for safety, many become homeless, lack an education, and are forced into prostitution and hard labor in plantations. Some are raped, arbitrarily arrested, detained, and tortured. Rights groups say it is difficult to know the number of women and girls whose rights are violated because most victims stay quiet for fear of reprisals. Marie-Therese Abena-Ontua is Cameroon's Minister of Women's Empowerment and the Family. She says victims should denounce perpetrators of human rights abuses. She says the state will make the accused appear before the courts.
Our society should banish the numerous manifestations of incivility, such as violence against women. The government has made this a major concern through the promotion of the human rights of all citizens. It is extremely important for us to have peace and the promotion of the rule of law. The UN says the separatist crisis in Cameroon's English-speaking regions that degenerated into an armed conflict in 2017 has claimed 3,500 lives and displaced 750,000 people. Human Rights Day is celebrated every December 10, the day on which, in 1948, the UN General Assembly adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. Nigeria's Human Rights Commission said today it will probe a report that the Nigerian military has recently run an abortion program that terminated thousands of pregnancies among women and girls who were rescued from Boko Haram militants. The report said most of the abortions involved were by tricking or forcing women to take pills or injections. The military has rejected the report, calling it untrue. Timothy Obiezu reports from Nigeria's capital, Abuja. Officials of the United Nations, the Nigerian government and development partners met at the National Human Rights Commission headquarters in Abuja early Friday. The meeting focused on Nigeria's human rights record and comes in the wake of fresh allegations against the Nigerian military revealed by a Reuters news agency investigation. According to the report, which cited dozens of witnesses, Nigerian forces in the northeast region have been running a secret abortion program for women and girls who were detained and raped by Islamist militants. The report said the military had performed at least 10,000 abortions since 2013. The report said the abortions were done through pills or injections and were mostly performed without the women's consent and often without their prior knowledge. It said women were told the pills or injections were to restore their health and fight diseases such as malaria. In some instances, women who resisted were beaten, intimidated or drugged into compliance. On Thursday, Nigeria's defense chief, General Lucky Irabo, refuted the report and said the military will not investigate it. He said the media should support narratives that boost public confidence in the military rather than tarnish it. Anthony Ojuku, the executive secretary of the National Human Rights Commission, spoke to VOA after Friday's meeting. When allegations like this are made, um, uh, we always like to apply due process. And due process would mean that you hear both sides of the story before you draw any conclusions. We will be calling on uh, the relevant agencies uh, to investigate this so that we can be making the correct uh, analysis of the situation. Minister of Women's Affairs Dame Pauline Tallinn also attended Friday's Human Rights Dialogue with officials and says authorities are investigating the matter. We condemn any violation of human rights on anybody. It is condemnable and is unacceptable. Investigation is going on and I hope it is not just true. What we are discussing today here is part of it.
Nigerian military in recent years has been accused of human rights violations that include extrajudicial killings, unlawful arrests, detentions, torture and forced disappearances. In December 2020, rights group Amnesty International said at least 10,000 civilians had died in Nigerian military custody since 2011. In April of this year, the United States approved the sales of military equipment worth $1 billion to Nigeria after many months of delay due to human rights concerns. Security analysts say the latest revelation, if true, could stall future deals between the Nigerian military and foreign counterparts. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. The U.S.-African Leaders' Summit next week is one of the biggest U.S.-Africa engagements and the first heads of state gathering for African leaders and an American president in the nation's capital since 2014. Aluyesis Uche Ordu is the director of the Africa Growth Initiative in the Global Economy and Development Program at Brookings. He tells my colleague Douglas Mpuga that this summit is particularly important as it comes at a difficult time in the global economy. Uh, this U.S.-Africa summit is particularly important. This is a very difficult time in the global economy because, as you know very, very well, there's tremendous uncertainty in the global economy. We are still not out of the woods as regards pandem- the pandemic, which is still killing our people and people elsewhere in the world. Uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has pushed food, fertilizer, and fuel prices very, very high. Inflation is really ravaging the world. The U.S. Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, have been raising interest rates, and of course, with higher interest rates, debts, debt across many countries in Africa are rising, and rising interest rates means that many of these countries face challenges in settling their international financial obligations. And of course, climate change, COP27, we just came back from Egypt. Climate change is wreaking havoc with devastating impacts on the livelihoods of our people. This is the context of this summit, and it's therefore important that the African leaders come prepared with one or two things they want to ask from the U.S. administration and the U.S. administration to also be prepared to be clear on those key areas that they will basically commit in their support for the continent. On Thursday, the Office of uh, Africa Growth Initiative at the Brooklyn Institution where you work uh, launched a booklet in which uh, they say that uh, Africa matters to the United States of America. Why does Africa matter to the U.S.? Our continent matters a great deal from a number of factors. In terms of economics, in terms of demographics, in terms of um, geopolitics globally. You're talking of 1.3 billion people on the planet in Africa. And that's, those numbers are going to be increasing tremendously. We're talking of a youthful population where a a large number of Africans are youths. And creating jobs at home is important if we have to stem the migration of our young people crossing the Mediterranean to find their way to the United States and Europe. So Africa matters tremendously, and this is why it's important. Uh, We argued strongly that the infrastructure gap 
on the continent. It's an area that the U.S. can actually play a very, very big role. How can it do that? Well, it can certainly increase its replenishment of the African Development Fund, which is the low-income window of the African Development Bank. We're here now that the replenishment meeting have just concluded in Morocco, the U.S. increased its replenishment share by about 15% to almost 600 million. That's fantastic. Another thing the U.S. can do is really to help with the bridging of the infrastructure gap on our continent. The way to do that is to make grant funding available so that the program for infrastructure development in Africa can actually prepare many, many projects they have on their list, you know, to make those projects bankable so that the private sector, including the U.S. private sector, can come in and help in bridging those gaps. It's been eight years since the last U.S.-Africa Leaders, Leaders Summit. Should there, these summits be a bit regular? I think the answer to your question is absolutely yes, because the, the last summit was during the Obama administration, as you know, and since then, the Trump administration had a completely different approach towards the continent. And uh, the Biden-Harris administration has revived the U.S. interests on the continent. And so it makes sense for this summit to be a much more regular. In fact, this is one of the things we should watch out for next week, whether there is a commitment to host these summits uh, regular. The more you meet with people, the more you have this kind of interaction at the highest level, of policy making and presidents, the more misunderstanding are reduced, the more Africans can begin to come to these summits with a common agenda rather than individual country agenda. So yes, regularity is important. That was Aliesis Oche Ordu, Director of the Africa Growth Initiative in the Global Economy and Development Program at Brookings. He spoke with Douglas Mpuga from Washington. And now it's time for World Cup Highlights. We have online the host of the sunny side of sports, Sunny Young. Welcome to African News Tonight, Sunny. 40 World Cup greetings. Yeah, hey, it's great to be back on African News Tonight. So uh, Croatia uh, knocks out Brazil. Great quarterfinal, yeah, hey, uh, You know, I know a lot of people want to call this an upset. Uh, but we have to keep in mind the Croatians made it to the World Cup final four years ago in Russia before losing to France. And, you know, I, I, I was one of those that thought they might be a bit long in the tooth. Maybe some of their, some of their older players weren't quite up to the, the World Cup pressure. But what a great match, Yehaez. They, they defeated uh, Brazil on penalty kick 4-2. It looked like Brazil was headed to victory in extra time. Neymar, their superstar, uh, he had a goal at the end of the uh, first half of extra time. That gave the Brazilians a one nothing lead. But then Bruno Petkovic equalized for Croatia in the 117th minute, and that forced uh, the penalty kick shootout. Uh, I was talking with uh, super producer Muckbill Yabaro uh, before the program, Yehaeus, and I think my man of the match, if I, if I had to select a man of the match, I would give it to Croatia's goalkeeper, yes. Dominic, Dominic Livakovic. He was spectacular in front of the nets for Croatia. 
Uh, he, he made some really great saves uh, that could have put the Brazilians in front. And, uh, yeah, he was my man of the match. And, and I think uh, this evening he, he is very much a national hero in Croatia. Uh, you know, uh, the other aspect of this match that is definitely worth mentioning, Yeheus, is uh, Neymar with that goal of his in extra time. He equaled Pele's, the great Pele's national scoring record for Brazil. They each have 77 goals now. Uh, but I know, I know Neymar was really hoping to hoist that World Cup trophy, Yeheus, and it's just not to be. Well, he, to he be. might have to wait another four years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, in the shootout, uh, Marquinhos, uh, he, hit the, he hit the post uh, at the end, and that gave Croatia the victory. And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're heading to the semifinals. They're the first team to go through to the semifinals, and uh, I, I was watching the game, and, and one aspect that, that also came out, yeah, hey, is in terms of population, uh, Brazil has a population of about, I think it's about 217 million people. Croatia, <laughs> tiny Croatia, has a population of about 4 million people. Uh, but the Croatians produce some quality football players, and they certainly proved it this evening, Yeheus. And, Sonny, talk to us about uh, the upcoming Netherlands versus Argentina. That should be another great quarterfinal, Yeheus. Uh, Argentina, uh, they're, you know, Lionel Messi hoping, uh, hoping like Neymar to, to lift the World Cup trophy. Uh, but he's first, he and the Argentina team first have to get past a very strong Dutch team, uh, the Dutch defeated the USA 3-1 to one in the round of 16, while Argentina defeated Australia uh, by a score of 2-1 in the round of 16. I, I would say this is one of those 50-50 matches, Yeheus. I, I, I think it could go either way. I, I don't know that there's a, a clear favorite. Uh, the Netherlands, a uh, very strong team, and... Yeah, I, I think uh, I look forward to that quarterfinal. Yes. And, uh, Sonny, how many people expected Brazil versus Argentina? Well, I know I did, Yeheus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really did want to see uh, Neymar and uh, Vinicius Jr. Mm-hmm. go up against, go up against uh, Lionel Messi and Argentina. And... Uh, I think a lot of people pick Brazil to beat Croatia uh, this evening. Uh, Croatia went into the match. Uh, w- uh, one of their defenders, in fact, said before the match that he felt like Brazil had had enough quality players to field two two uh, starting eleven teams in the, in the World Cup quarterfinals. But Croatia, yes, I, I just thought they were outstanding this evening, Yeheus. And Sunny, uh, to wrap it up, uh, France against England, Morocco, Portugal, upcoming games. What are your thoughts on those? England, France. Uh, you know the English looking for their first World Cup trophy since 1966. They go up against uh, the reigning champions in France. Uh, France has been playing very well. They have Kylian Mbappe. He has a tournament-leading five goals. I got to go with the French in that match, Yeheus. 
in the other quarterfinal, the Atlas Lions of Morocco uh, go up against Portugal. I'm going to go out on the limb here, Yehias. I'm, pick, I'm picking the Morocco. Moroccan, I'm picking the Moroccans to become the first African team to make it to the World Cup semifinals. Go Morocco! <laughs> and uh, as usual, thank you for your input, Sonny. Thank you, Yehias. Always great to be on Africa News tonight. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. And for all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Nelson Lopes, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Mm-hmm.